I was just getting into Laurel at the time. I was getting in through Brazier. It would, you know, he had he had done so much already to kind of get some of the reception started, uh, not just with Nile Unbound, but you know, with um, with his dissertation and and his translations and and a few articles himself. So he he had really like kind of sowed the seeds and what his philosophy did the other part of the the trick you know that those those provocative footnotes about Larwell being doing something more interesting than anything they'd seen in a while at least in regards to philosophy so yeah i mean i'm sure they could see the extent to which his lines like extend and intensify theirs in this curi- and like involute right. them in this curious way and represent an evolution beyond them in a different way. Um, yeah, no, I, there definitely is an interesting relation there. That's like, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Well, I'm sure we've like um, unpacked some aspects of it before on the show. But. The Liz have had to have heard about Laura Wells early period philosophy one, where you have with, with his second book, you have textual machines and it's this overt, attempt at sort of uh, crossing the series of Derrida and Deleuze and sort of forgoing their proper name and kind of fusing them in a, in a way uh, through Nietzsche, you know, in this, this sort of, and obviously I think Guattari is behind the scene, but Laurel represses him, which is a whole other thing. But I, I mean, I, I think the list probably would have, would have heard that, that he was uh, a common name in Laurel's mouth throughout this, you know, throughout the, the past two decades or so. And, um, cause there was the, the book that preceded philosophy and non-philosophy was the philosophies of difference and Deleuze figures prominently, obviously there. Uh, so, it's, it's that, but it, but it's not a rejection. It's just, uh, it's, it's interesting, right? They, they actually diagram Badu and try to like, you know, slice him up and, and sort of <laughs> propose him back to himself and be like, yeah, can you guys explain it to me? But, uh, Laurel is more provocative. And so maybe there's this, you, you mean in what is philosophy where they, mm-hmm. Where they, they and the footnotes show show yeah. Badu up as a Platonist and how all his concepts end up right. on a line between. But also, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, just just that also Deleuze have been searching for a formalization of the concept of non-philosophy ever since uh, Difference of Repetition, at least. You know, this is why he engages almost immediately with Feuerbach, and uh, in 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 Difference of Repetition and and sort of puts substitutes non-philosophy for this this question philosophy right that the, the question being determined you know via the the problem solution matrix of uh you know of 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 the unconscious learning and learning to a certain extent becomes the movement of desire in capitalism and schizophrenia but only insofar as it informs back on itself through the diagram and 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 models the images of thought and and you know uses that to perhaps ironically attain the socratic ideal right that 
that uh, knowing no one errs willingly, right? So to to use knowledge for the betterment of ourselves. Yeah, ignorance is the only vice. But that's that would be the what would be anti-Platonic about it. Obviously, would be that to the extent to which the Republic is molecular, molecular, molecularized, and um, micro-politically analyzed, you know, and and then like reshuffled, and giving precedence to lines of flight already opening the Republic to an outside that it had tried to like foreclose upon itself based on its constitution. Right. So it's, I think this is why Alice Huxley is also anti-Platonic, right? It's, it's the, the ultimate like height of ironic satire of this, you know, hyper-technologicized Republic that could actually uh, in the future, in this fascistic future of excess, you know, uh, uh, make possible the Republic's general, um, it's, it's general institution of a concrescence of values, right? It's, 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 well, uh, it's, it's like incorporating yeah. the value. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Please go mm-hmm. ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I would love for you to just take this anywhere if because I, if I'm, if I'm have to respond to all that, there would be a couple other things too. No, take off on a line of flight, whatever. Well, it, it, would, it would just be that I think there was a, a, a parallel line here, like, and, and somehow I felt like you were going to work, work your way back around uh, to Socrates after pointing at Badu. Um, because then I, I guess I was going to say the line from what is philosophy about like, well, what their diagram is, is they, they kind of, or at least one of the things I think they may just give it in as text, but like, they sort of show how all of Badu's truth functions are like on this line, this like divided line between the concept and the function. And they're like, you know, like mathematics or science and like, and, and um, I'm trying to remember, it's like love or, you know, um, I, I guess like care or something. And then like uh, politics and, it's, it's like is it poetry or art? I guess is the parallel one to mathematics science, um, like on the on the the veritable other side, and it's you know basically showing how he's like just arranging his functions on this continuum from the, I mean at, at a glance it's from the intelligible to the sensible. You know what I mean? Um, and that you know. The I, I guess the intermediate terms play an interesting like game of kind of dancing around, but like at the extremes, it's clear that science is more concerned with functions and, right, you know, like you know, making things work and like sort of in, instrument instruments in the world. And um, no, yes, you're right. It's it's about that's at least what Leotard says. It's about the effects that science can produce. Um. And so, so, sorry. No, no, I, I, I was just going to, I think science is a great dropping off point again for, for micropolitics, because if you look at that, which in a given society is precluded from scientific vision and observation and uh, manipulation, then that, that domain, that field of objects is, 
uh, sort of rarefied in a way that leaves it to be manipulated. Um, you like well, no, it's it's well, that's one example. But I'm also thinking of these underground markets, right? That there's there's an underground market for 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 drugs, for example, and the restrictions with which we are. Uh, I thought you could say like cyborg implants or something. Well, sure, like, that's yeah. that's that that's another uh, example. I guess that uh, stuff is starting to like exist on the fringes in a weird, in like a kind of a minor way. But this, so there's a sort of ethical foreclosure of a given society's. Uh, at least, at least licitly, to be able to study and provide data for. I mean, you know, um, gun violence and gun ownership is another uh, example of, or the CDC studying gun violence, right, is another example of this sort of gap, this sort of foreclosed black hole of knowledge that constitutes these knots, these these symptoms of a, of a society's, well, in our representative democracy, legislative deadlock, but it's, it's this yeah. deadlock of I values mean, it, and norms. It, it seems like a truism a little bit, right? It's like, it's, if power is knowledge, then keeping people ignorant is a way to control them. But this isn't a particularly novel. And in, in, in particular, it's not the inside of the Republic, I guess, just to reframe around some of that. And, and sorry, I, d- I don't mean to keep going on about that, but like the the idea that like Badu is has structured his ideas unconsciously around the line that goes between the intel this transcendental line between the intelligible and the sensible. It's it's just interesting to me, and I was you know I, I think I was on a, a a line of like trying to understand what would the form of sensation or sense be, um, right? And it right. struck me that in Plato, it's ethics or the good. It's like, but it's also the problem of pleasure. And they're like the same kind of, or it's like, or there's this break in the notion of the good between, you know, kind of value and correctness or something, you know what I mean? Like these two right. orders of its possible definition that are like kind of in conflict, but like they're, they're also part of the same idea. You know what I mean? You don't get the form of the good, the concept, the pr- formal concept of goodness, right? Without both the idea of, you know, like you're correct and you're doing something valuable or excellent or of, of social utility and not just competing and being superior and arrogant, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like good is like, I don't know, is like it is a machine that you, you're producing something in the world that other people care about. You know what I mean? And that actually works and functions somehow. Um, and maybe makes new perceptions possible. You know, you know what I mean? Or like new estimations and like this is. I guess one of the things science makes possible is like new instruments that can measure the world and give us new, new perspectives and, and like points of view on, on the, the values and that it's instruments register, right? This is, you know, there's a, I, I guess like on the flip side would be like the, I, I think this is one of the places where a lot of the, kind of Deleuzean paradoxes of difference that maybe Laruel is like applying in a certain way, a certain restricted or way maybe, but that it's, that it's sort of about like, what is the formal concept of sense, right? It sort of immediately causes a bunch of paradoxes when you take this, because you're, you're, you're having to deal with the transcendental field and this line, 
that goes from science to art and passes through love and politics on the way that like conjoins the intelligible and the sensible aspects of our duality as like right. as as mindful you know creature minded you know creatures or you know creatures with a I think that there's there's something either you know hierarchical or there's there's something segmentarized about Badu's conception of the four truth procedures because for Deleuze and Guattari the four lines are are inextricably intertwined in in this in the quantic level of desire and and belief and and their resonances right so it's so what I mean to say is, you know, uh, they, they, they have various lines that's, you know, you could, you could make out to be platitudes, but this notion that the, the mathematicians, uh, I'm sorry, I feel elegant, bad. I didn't mean to minimize the insight before and call it. No, no, no. I, uh, I was, I was merely saying that, that for losing Guattari politics is not a, like a, a line that, that is, that is autonomous, uh, or, or uninfluenced. That there is a confluence of, of of the flows of the four truth procedures that 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 the, they can't be in they, they are inextricably superposed for Deleuze and Guattari and and to try to elicit one line out from the other and distinguish them as independent truth procedures would belie would be a tracing, right? It would, it would, it would trace the, it, it would, it would at least give rise to these effects of tracing, these tracing effects of mapping the unconscious rather than, uh, so do, do they do this in what is philosophy? Do they make this error in what is philosophy? Is the, is this, is this the, like Deleuze's tendency towards cla philosophical classicism or something without Guattari's good positive chaos, you know, good, chaotic good influence right like i think i think that they try to show the superposition of of art science politics through under love and that's what schizoanalysis would would be right that that's that, beautiful man yeah, that yeah. the that 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 which superposes the waves kind of like uh captain planet it's it's heart that brings everything together <laughs> and yeah. uh and merges the elements. And I think this is obviously even a shout, uh, a callback to someone like Lucretius who begins this poem with this ode to Venus and, and love as this principle of the movement of, of reproductive species that, that populates the, the void with, with life. Um, and so it's yeah, that's like heartbreaking, yeah. man. It's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, like, and 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 love here obviously is a stand-in for a whole collective practice, a a a, a resonance of of collective assemblages of enunciation and machinic assemblages, you know, by way of the, um, by way of that which is, you know, is able to be effectuated given the the abstract machines at our disposal the war machines too that we deploy against that which would uh ultimately um 
provide these false re-territorializations, right? That are always yes. in the midst. That are always the well, false idols to like yeah, yeah. All, to to ring hollow. And that's that's what Nietzsche is enacting with the Twilight of the Idols is this false resonance of norms and values that that don't. And yeah, and 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 that's sorry. Right. Go ahead, go ahead. Bill, let me interrupt you. Just that don't amplify together. Exactly. Well, no, it's reaction. I think that's the whole point. Is like. Of, I think you, I think with Lucretius, it's like we see how good it can be, at least psychologically, to su- to surrender to something that you know is good and valuable and correct. In the sense that, like, you know, with with love, I think we, you know, we de- we depersonalize through this like positive vector and not a reactionary yes. negative one. Right. Yeah. Um, and. Or at least like love offers this plane of consistency that's like that is that way. Yes. And right. And hate offers a different one. And you can get deterritorialized on both. You can re- create new territories through both. Um, and like, I, I don't know, like, the, again, all the platitudes about human duality would suggest that, oh, we're a little of both. But it's like, but when you decompose all your all all your in, internal constructions of the right. world. It's like it, you, you, you can rebuild them. I like the way you put it. It's like, but it's, it's also, it's not just the re-territorialization. It's like, it's the lines of de-stratification of like depersonalization, like through one of those two vectors, you know what I mean? But like, it's, and it's not, I don't think it's like a binary choice for the individual, like, you know, love or hatred, but there is kind of a, a, a I don't know, this is maybe, you know, like it's it's something I'm working through a little bit, I guess, is like trying to like give up like like anger and bitterness and these sorts of things. Or resentment. Because I know how yeah. toxic they are, you know what I right. mean? And, um it's not I don't know. I would rather be broken open into a new thing than than be broken down by by those kind of like by, by that plane of consistency. Right. But I guess like this is one of the things in what is philosophy, and it's like it's very important. I think especially like for artists, writers, or something to like see this aspect of like like studying metaphysics and learning philosophy and finding the quickest ways to the plane of eminence is that it does. There are bad feelings that come with you know what I mean. Um, like it's not like an accident, but like we we should be more like I, I guess Deleuze's take is like we should be more innocent about it, and under, you know what I mean. Like yeah. In, understand that this is just an aspect of the plane you know well i mean for for nietzsche it's it's true resentiment is this hollow idol that only accords with these tendencies we have due to our ego and our you know desire to 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 congregate etc but like the 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 true negation that is an affirmative is still needed right so that's where we don't merely succumb to nihilism where we actually to affirm we have to negate and and that negation is an affirmation on the the plane of eminence the body without organs intensities right so to 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 that extent it's it's kind of like Simonon's ethical act it's 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 that reactive forces it, they destroy or render impossible the the ultimate rhizomatic linkages of of ethical acts as or moral acts as Simonon calls it right that that it's 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 a true ethics of of forces throughout 
one could say the cosmos, but specifically collectively, is about this coordination of the redounding and, in the end, redundancy of of ethical acts that compose forces together. Um, So at that point, then, if to break down is, is to render further individuation possible, it would not be you know, uh, negative in the last instance, right? This is the, this is where the binary begins to, you know, take flight and, and show the movement of transduction through the negotiation of structures and operations and their various interminglings. Yeah. Break breakthrough, right? This is what, mm-hmm. this is what love aims for, right? Is right. Like these- yes. Like, and, and it's, it's mindful compassion towards yourself as well, right? Like, in recognizing, you know, that, like, it you is. do need a kind, connected relation to yourself that, like, recognizes your shared humanity and failings with, yes. the, with the entire rest of the species. And that, that can be the base, you know, I don't know. Like, if you, if you so, can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Well, and it's, and it's like, I, I think this is the best part of like Deleuze and Nietzsche is the self-empowerment. Like I, it is a, yeah. a wild yeah. idealism in a certain way because it's like, and, and, and Nietzsche sort of like is more direct about this. Like the, this is not something the common stock of humanity is capable of. Like you and me are not capable of this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like this is one of the things Nietzsche kind of like sort of insists on, you know what I mean? That like, it's this is really for the future in a certain way that we're trying True. to create. True. And but I, if I, I don't, I, yeah, this, I, this I, is a way of like de- detaching Nietzsche from the world and making him a religious figure. So maybe yes. this is not the best frame. But like, no, no, I don't think it's religious. See, it's 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 more when when Nietzsche says man is the the tightrope between ape and overman. Uh, the question of an Ubermensch is not a species question. It's, it's not a biological right. question. It's a question of values and a question of that which we are capable. There you go. Uh, no, it's still, politically. It, it, is, it is the moral. It is that moral thing you were saying, right? Yeah. In, so it's, in Simone, it's like that. It's yeah. a tra- it's transcendental ethics of the entire field at once. Yes. And all the acts depend on each other. Yeah. Right. The extent to which we have the energy to go further affirming life in the decadence of values and 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 pushing what those values make possible that is how we quote unquote evolve um at least molecularly right because i think for nietzsche he's it's still an aristocratism right it's still at least at this stage a question of monumental history and a question of monumental figures who are rare and who are capable of undergoing the the internal and external like balancing and strength it takes to become a true individual as Nietzsche might say right and there's like there's like a handful of them you know what I mean it's like Augustus Robespierre end of list like there's not there's you know what I mean like it's yeah it, it but but he gives us some guidelines right he gives us the um he gives us the the sage and the um you know he gives us these these figures that we could we could follow such that in the event of pursuing our individuation we are not sort of monumentalizing ourselves in ourselves as 
a sort of fascistic appearance of that which should be attained by a nation state or or right. uh, or something this like is, that. This is, being, you're, you're, this making, is you're making them into yeah. the prefigures of anti-Oedipus. Then you're making Nietzsche an anti-fascist. Well, I I don't know if I'm making him. I'm I'm negotiating because I think Sorry, there is that, that too quick. There yeah, is but. the. I mean, Laurel will point out that there that that we can't just read a a, a sort of liberal progressive Nietzsche and forego. Yes. Right. And, and 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 vice versa that there is this fourfold of Nietzsche the the revolutionary and the master or the rebel and the master and then you know the uh, the revolutionary and the the fascistic these poles oscillate and 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 it's because at least for Laura well and he's this is his thesis it's because um, Nietzsche is able to manipulate and and work in this fascistic discourse in order to lure in the enemy and smother him and sort of and sort of forego this greatest misunderstanding but he does so atextually and that's that's the theorem to be proved throughout Nietzsche contra Heidegger and how Nietzsche subterraneanly undermines Heidegger's reappropriation of Nietzsche as this right-wing figure um and thereby sort of complicit with the fascism to come the nazism to come um yeah he is he is not fucking complicit i am i am right yeah i like i i don't i don't know it's it's one of those things it's like right it's it's shitty that fascists like him quote unquote like him you wonder if they understand anything they're fucking reading but like but it but Nietzsche does seem to anticipate being it's fascistized also, and read well, fascistically it's inherent to great art that it's fucking dangerous like that's the experiment like i don't know it's like it's a shitty outcome i i'm not gonna argue with you you know no no it's, I, it's, it's yeah. not it's not his fault that, that no we, we know, don't there's there's fascism today you know he's you know he's warning us you know i don't know i think that what laurel is trying to say is that in fact, we don't have to de- defend Nietzsche. That, right. That, that, right. I'm sick of that, of, of being in that posture. Yes. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. I think that to defend Nietzsche is to belie the manner in which he has defended himself. And I think that that's part Thank of – No, that's, that's so smart. That's yeah. part of Laurel's gambit, at least, in reading Nietzsche. Because, because honestly, Foucault um, and Deleuze – until they collaborated with with getting Nietzsche translated, specifically under Klasowski, you know their introduction as French intellectuals. The French, uh, the, Nietzsche had kind of really gotten this renaissance with Heidegger's lectures on Nietzsche being translated into French in the sixties. So um, this uh, may not have piqued Deleuze's interest primarily, but this is around the time when Nietzsche writes Nietzsche in, or when Deleuze's when Deleuze. Sorry, writes Nietzsche in philosophy. He's he's in. There's this renaissance of Nietzsche scholarship, and it's it's due to uh, this translation of Heidegger and Heidegger being in vogue. Obviously, um, this phenomenological field of this post phenomenological field of thinkers who are schooled by you know people like Ricoeur on the one hand through hermeneutics, and then you know, Hippolyte, the Hegelian on the other hand. And it's, I think Deleuze even himself is like, 
you know, we're the last generation to be sort of sub submitted to this tyranny of the history of philosophy. And I think that that's why the experimental schools, to just come back to what I said earlier, post-68, were at least one concession the state made to keep some of the students happy, or at least to try to, like, placate. Because um, the students were revolting as well as the, you know, the workers and the... You don't say. Yeah, so, you know, you, you if you keep the... the if, if, you sh if you show them a little bit of freedom, then they'll forego the uh the lack of class solidarity that they already had with quote-unquote ordinary man anyway all of that's to say um you know i i think nietzsche's his some of the stuff he wrote at the end of his sort of 10-day hysteric or i don't know if it was two three weeks that um, after his collapse and his kind of hysteria where he's writing these letters and he's signing them Dionysus Christ and he wants to have all anti-Semites shot, it's almost as though this... Sounds uh, like he's pretty on top of things to me. Well, it's... it's it's He... Um, no, he's obviously on a little... Herr Nietzsche is, is a little unwell, yeah. He, he took very seriously Emerson's... Uh, maxim that it is uh, to be great is to be misunderstood. And so I think he anticipates um, him being read selectively. And part of that too is so ironic because he knows what his sister's doing in Argentina. He knows his, he opposed his sister marrying um, a very prominent and sort of overt uh you know fascist and national socialist so like he um he sort of knew that if he succumbed to the illness that are all the many illnesses that he had constantly tried to come back from his his estate would be edited by his sister that it would fall to her to use him uh, he may have anticipated this i am not surprised in the least if that weighed on his mind you know because he was kind of a hermit right and he knew who was i doubt he worried much about what his sister was doing or thought but well, she was know. keeping him alive right she was um she was subsidizing him for the main oh i see what you mean he might so, have he yeah might he have was under distorted but by her even in life in a way he was he definitely he lived on his own but she was she was supporting him much like Engels supported marx um right but it's a totally different relationship, right? It's it's if 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 it's as though if Engels were an overt fascist and <laughs> was waiting on Marx to die so he could like sort of slip in all of the fascistic reterritorializations that 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 you see in something like The Will to Power in its selective editing, even if it it has so many fragments that are worth uh their salt you you remember how winchester talked about will to power and he warned he, us about it yeah he did he did teach it though that was the interesting thing it was almost his attempt to be like okay let's read this edited work of nietzsche and see what uh <laughs> you know and um i don't know it's 
Deleuze leans on it heavily. Just, I yes, mean, he I, does. I, I, I see why it was important for Winchester. You know what I mean? Difference of Repetition does cite from it and some of the other works too. Um, yeah, Nietzschean philosophy is hung hung very much on the on the thread of that work and it makes you want to read it. But I kind of, I also don't want to read it that much. Well, it has to be borne in mind, as I said, that Nietzsche wasn't... Um, on the whole translated very well, or if, if, if there was, it was, it was kind of piecemeal and that's why Deleuze and Foucault took over a, a, a scholarly academic series of his translations and tried to get it, you know, done full justice. The will to power may have been one of the few works available. It's, it's it'd be an interesting academic sort of triviality to look it up and just to see Wait, but, what, what would be the, the scholarly question there? Uh, how much of Nietzsche was translated into French at the time, in the, in the 50s and 60s? What was the available corpus of works? Because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't fully translated. It's fascinating. Yeah, okay. So, so I figured he would have been fully no. translated quickly, but I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Dissemination takes takes time. Yeah, that, and... Uh, Klosowski was one of the translators of Nietzsche and he's obviously written that okay. he's, he's written that that book that Deleuze also leans on Nietzsche and the Vicious Circle so there's a which yeah. is great but also yeah has is maybe easy to be, to be misread in a certain way you know but well it's it's precisely Nietzsche and the Vicious Circle that Laurel leans on to discuss the greatest misunderstanding to which Nietzsche submits himself and how he almost anticipates a sly enemy like Heidegger who, you know, almost a century after his work, two thirds of a century tries to represent him in, in a light that is, completely foreign to what he was actually doing so that's that's sort of yeah he has i I love this thesis that nietzsche has a bunch of counter signs embedded in his work so you can tell the true from the false interpreters (laughs) yeah well i mean deleuze said he tried to take nietzsche from behind and the opposite happened right that yeah that nietzsche buggered him it sounds right to me yeah and as opposed to someone like Spinoza, who just completely resisted all buggering through the perfection of the <laughs> right. axiomatic method, you know, um, he's just he was just like immaculately formed. There's like no orifices at all. Like, yeah, I think that that's true, at least of the ethics. You know, if you if you disregarded the ethics, obviously you could you could try to, uh, you know, but. I, I the think ethic, that the ethics invites only loving participation and extension. Everything else is revealed for the resentment it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I think that that's that's the the question to which Guattari uh, unmoored Deleuze from this territoriality of buggering, of philosophy as buggering, and said, "Look, that's that's navel gazing, right? That's kind of that's." masturbatory history of philosophy shit you know um and and that that has well, to maybe, be maybe that he has gave to be it a taken. better name maybe he says it's de- it's deterritorialization right is what you're you're 
de-semantifying, re-semantifying, you know? But I think, I think that what's wrong with buggering is that it, it creates a territoriality of, of the personal name and, and, and thereby rigidifies it. It's not, it's not names as to, to radicalize buggering. One would have to, to, uh, to, you know, disentangle the names from the intense effects, the Hegel effect, the Deleuze effect, whatever. And I think that, 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 um, Guattari helped to sort of power charge that and to sort of say it's, it's, you know, we, we only use names in this way of mobilizing these forces. We don't insularize ourselves and internalize ourselves into a discourse that would, would merely, uh, look at names as functions of what they wrote, you know, as though it were, a a, a, a question of the archive. So if one merely buggers a philosopher in a monograph so as to uh, elicit a, a different angle of the Kleinemann of the descent of philosophical discourse in the history of philosophy, then you're really just you're, – you're, you're, you're not doing anything but masturbating. And Guattari wants to plug him into the outside and make it, make it function – Make capitalism and schizophrenia function outside of any sort of academic. Yeah, you're, you're making this beautiful case that like Guattari taught Deleuze about philosophy in this funny backwards way. Um, That's interesting. Like by inviting right. him outdoors and took took this the, you know, took the paranoid guy, de- you know, f- frantically decoding these classical works and was like, let's let's go look at art and science man let's like there's an outside there's other there's non-philosophies that you can tap into and Deleuze was doing some of that I mean he one of his monographs was on Proust right I mean and he 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 definitely incorporated uh various voices in logic of sense and 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 it's it's not to say that Deleuze wasn't this is a good point yeah this is a good I mean he was he was definitely trying out these he was he was already sketching out these these different thought experiments these different notions of of what the violence yeah, of thought entails. It's just that right. when you look at the end of logic of sense and what he's trying to find through Lacan and through the phantasm, it, 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 it doesn't have the, the, the force of conviction. Uh, the notion of sense still in its, and even in its stoic elaboration is not yet plugged into a viable pragmatics. And that's what Guattari brings that, that if we take the logic of sense and use it to understand the paralogisms of the unconscious and how those are falsely used to kind of, you know, uh, you know, um, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the word we megaphone, the, the sort of, um, deadlock that capitalism, you know, wants to sort of emit and, and emanate from this waves of sameness and, uh, and Guattari is trying to find ways that one can map out uh, lines of flight, passive resistance, um, passive of also passive like annexing. So much of I was thinking about this earlier. So much of of what we do as individuals, but also collectively, we annex these. It's not necessarily. They are milieus, but the that which is harnessed from them, the the energy sources we tap into, you know, those are yeah, independent. Yeah, nomos, nomos, right? We, nomos, we had a lot of, yeah, yeah. 
just distributing the space, cutting it up, dividing it from from Nemain, Nemean to whatever to yeah, cut it's, it's to distribute. Free. And it, but yeah. it's it's also about tapping into these energy sources, tapping into these, um, not just ways of of our ways of living are informed also by our by that by that which gives our body fuel and that includes like on the outside too the the sort of uh, stimulants and drugs and and narcotics we use uh yeah that playing that, the, to the distribution channels for all those things that's where i was getting nomos was the smooth the smooth space of all these flows right that are distributing you know pe- people and goods throughout the territory distributing them in this open space Sorry, I didn't mean to step on anything. No, you didn't. You didn't. I'm 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 merely thinking of um this for Guattari, it's 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 always the fact that schizoanalytic mapping of 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 the unconscious of the lines, the segments, the the micropolitical black holes, whatever. It's it's a, a lot of that mapping and diagramming um, for him, has to do in experimental ways of conjoining the um, the pharmaceutical machine, the pharmacological machine, or assemblage with the uh, the analytic assemblage, and this notion of a revolutionary politics always already involving a revolutionary analytics um, or analysis, and so it's. It's always been this question for Guattari in, in discussing with Deleuze and the and what he can with his whole learning of the history of philosophy, you know, uh, dovetail with is the revolutionary machine. Um, and I think that's where I find their intersection so interesting and fruitful. Do you want to? Sorry, do you want to sum, summarize that again? I guess so. To summarize, what, what, to what, sum, what to, intersection? Yeah. Well, the intersection would be the basically the intersection would be the the what the philosophical ensemble brings in its in its conceptualization, what conceptuality and conceptualization as a force contributes to the revolutionary machine. Because Guattari wants to kind of like multiply everything into these N minus one dimensionality and powers and, and rhizomatize uh, the history of philosophy. And, and just like he wants to almost invaginate Deleuze's discourse and make it plug in to the political directly i I mean it's kind of an interesting interesting point i think about like you know deleuze's politics before guitari which is like i'm not even sure why this is such an interesting question or something you know what i mean but like from a certain point of view um it's like he didn't write explicitly about it, and we can. There's only certain ambiguous signs in the in the work. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not. 
Like he has Pass, a... passing passing references, allusions. Yes, it's it's. If we extrapolate from the way in which he's reading these philosophers and the way in which he lays them out in the Eternal Return, um, the transvaluation of all values at the end of deficit repetition. If we sort of extrapolate from his philosophy, then yes, we could see Deleuze as obviously being uh, a leftist intellectual. But until he yeah. plugs into Guattari, he's not using those edges of deterritorialization on the political front as such. Right, he's still he's still earning his credentials as a as a as a professor with deficit repetition and logic of sense. Right, he's he's crowning this decade of publication, uh, really decade and a half, uh, with his two theses, and um, and then he immediately shifts, right? He did, he did, he did all his chores. He 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 crossed all of his boxes. He, you know, cons he consumed the history of philosophy, and passed, right? He he passed in, in like a double entendre, right? He passed his exams, but he passed as like you're a philosopher now. And then you're in a position, yeah. Right. And then Guattari yeah. scrambles all the codes, and he realizes, well, fuck, this this is all. You know, this is, and and he does so. It's he becomes a. I, I mentioned this to you before, but he becomes a professor of the year, at at which that event never took place. Right? It's you know during sixty eight. It's it that has to be already prepare him for this more fruitful meeting with Quattri. There had to be something about May sixty eight and him getting his credentials to become a a professor of philosophy. That that's like. That has to be intertwined. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a there's a certain thing where you can see like, okay, but what do I do with this? <laughs> and well, you know what I mean? Um, and like a you know a final like a first breath of air outside of the academy, and he and he finds the, you know this 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 good this fellow Guattari, right? Yeah. Through uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're implying through some of the upheavals. Because like, what 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 Guattari, yeah, like the meetings of leftist like thinkers and writers that must have been happening. I guess is that the implication? True, but that was also an upheaval against Lacan, right? This Lacan's return oh, to I Freud. See what you, mean. you know, with anti Oedipus, <laughs> Guattari taps into an annexed milieu in Deleuze and draws upon all of Deleuze's monumental amount of forces that he's amassed and deploys them against the Freudian. Uh, dogma, dogmatic approach, or at least the Freudian-based approach, sir, and, and and to a further extent, rippling out these other approaches that are approximations of Freud, and and either through their uh, misreading of of the child's map of the unconscious through Klein and and partial objects, which transforms in the district, uh, uh, you know, later on in Antiedipus, partial objects are they're. Uh, <laughs> They're partial, right? As in they're uh, judicially partial. But uh, um, but Freud, obviously, like th this is the target, and and it's it, Lacan's still kind of an ally in Antiedipus, but it becomes much less clear in A Thousand Plateaus uh, that that he is, and he really 
he's really not the main interest though. Um, but initially Guattari needed someone to help him, I think, unyoke himself from one could say his own Oedipus complex, his own father figure of following Lacan and being a student of his for however so many years after working with, uh, Jean Uri and, um, and his own completely different experience of analysis in, uh, in Laborde and working with schizophrenics and sort of seeing the limits of psychoanalysis in a, in a Freudian vein, even updated with Lacan, uh, specifically through the ensconcement of the signifier as holding the key to all the symptoms of the unconscious, which I think for Guattari betrays the machinic side. Um, if we immerse ourselves in language, then we just immerse ourselves in these redundancies, and it's all it's all navel gazing. What about images, though? Is that the idea that, like, again, I feel like we're we we we're still back in the same frame we started with Badu and Plato, and that we're still in their matrix, no matter how we squirm. Like, there's something about the negative that way that they always think they've got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's infuriating. Um, I don't know the the. I mean, I think it, at, at best we can make Badu out to have like, it's funny, like, because those are the hints we get in the early Deleuze that he's a mystic, that he's, there's her, hermeticism and, you know, like this is what the stoic elements and the, his philosophy of time, right? Like kind of really hint at. It's like kind of a mystical understanding of some of those things that like, that harkens back to like Pythagoreanism and stuff. Um, I, I, again, I, I don't know, but like, um, I, 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 I think the thing I'm, I'm thinking about is like the way, like, again, these forces you say Deleuze is arrayed against like, and, and, and he deploys them in the service of like, you know, transforming our understanding of like, of human consciousness. I think maybe this is where like the guitar and pharmacological connection has to do, even if Deleuze himself never touched a single anything, although who knows? He was right? a heavy, but, he was a heavy smoker. Obviously, he was also right? a heavy drinker, uh, and yeah. those those are those are ways of um, self uh, modifying, manipulating our our states of consciousness, our frames of reference. As no, it's it's a good point, yeah. but I, I I meant I meant something that a little more intensely. I, I guess nicotine, you know, will will affect your dreaming and and is a hallucinogen at, at certain potencies. But well, no, but it's but I but I I think that it's it's. It goes under the radar how much those, how much like, for example, nicotine and caffeine at least like stabilize a certain type of uh, of of consciousness that that's suitable for certain regimes of signs and certain uh, economic modes, and uh, and then alcohol is is a kind of uh, you know uh, it just reminds me of. Philip Larkin's Obad, right? The his praise of dawn. It's I work all day and get half drunk at night. It's there's just ways of attuning ourselves to um, certain modes of of production that makes caffeine and nicotine and by extension alcohol because of the laws at least kind of fall under the radar as as means of modifying our our consciousness. But they're they're ways of coping and they're ways of getting into routines, the ways of performing these these alienated tasks that uh you know we we describe as as labor 
or labor power or whatever. Yeah. No, you, but you're making me think about the production of philosophy and I guess of writing more generally and of like lasting sigs until the dawn comes up. And yes, that, you know, and like that's, you know, writers write a witch's line again, even if they don't touch drugs, they're in the business of perceptual like binding and modification and transference. You know what I mean? The, we've been sort of thinking about this the way a book is like a bundle of percepts, you know, right. that have been like bound together and there's something fascistic in that binding and the choice of perspective and all these things and the but some of that comes down to perception and like reading the book as a as a closed individual right when that binding can be lacerated and the pages can be cut apart and you you, you can you know not not the dissolution is liberation or something right. but like you know you you can plug the book into other machines it's right. like you know even if you just do these operate, even if, but I, I guess the suggestion is like philosophy is not much more than this operation of, of de decomposing, you know, the words and books and, and trying to assemble them into an intelligible unity with all the books or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this, I think that you're right to you, you kind of made a, a pun with um, talking about the book is, and it's binding being fascistic, right? Because etymologically the fasci uses the bundle. And so it's about the the binding and bundling of of, of multiplicities and singularities into into a, a so-called uh you know formation. And I think that for Deleuze and Guattari, the reason why they want you to read the plateaus, uh barring the conclusion at the end or whatever, if you want to under try to like see what they do um but you're 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 reading in such a way that the binding is always already undone and it is potentially rhizomatic that such that one could say i'm not reading the book i'm reading some book you know like like in the sense in which one talks about a partitive as as some grass or you know some um some multiplicities so when when one reads in this way like a record and skips between plateaus and creates these different lines choose your own adventure type one is performing one one's own sort of unbounded binding you know it's it's a it's a resonating that potentially is one can really say yeah i'm reading i'm reading some a thousand that. plateaus right i'm not reading no. The, I'm reading yeah, some of the plateaus. plateaus. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've I've cho I've chosen a plateau, and I'm going to resonate with it. It's like um, again, I think we've talked about this before. It's like it's the shape of all great world literature, like Arabian Nights and the Odyssey. They're yep. like yep. a meta a meta frame, and then you can pick and choose. Like, how long an Odyssey do you have time to tell? You know what I mean? Like, how long a voyage in place do you want to go with you and your friends? Right. And how long can you keep that plane of consistency intact and which elements of it are going to be appropriate? Yes. It's already a question of how do we build a little war machine together right. that's like capable of going on the same journey together with our all of our cognitive and imaginative faculties together. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because when one reads A Thousand Plateaus, you don't read it all at once in a linear fashion. It Even if one reads linearly, the lines redound upon themselves in this in this super linear way, and um, and so it is more appropriate to say we're reading some plateaus or some book, uh, a bit a bit of book because 
because the lines that compress in these plateaus are these uh, these molecular flows that are, in the last instance, asignifying. They have atextual forces that composes them in this multiplicity that is not necessarily linguistic. And I think that's the speed at which they try to attain. One has to attain a certain speed to allow that to be possible. Otherwise, one is left with all the Greek oppositions of speech is living and, and writing is dead, right? To, to, to set writing adrift at such velocity that, that it approximates, simulates life. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the principle of the rhizome. What, what is, what is that like? So, I mean, they talk about quantifying writing, but you're almost talking about like animating or vivifying. Or that in quantifying one is, it's not a calculation. It is the potential, well, one could say via partial observer, the potential sort of um, mapping of the the quanta of flows of writing that compose not only this 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 fragment, this sentence, this paragraph, this plateau, but also the quote unquote book, this this rhizome book. Um, that's what quantifying means. So it's not it's not counting. It's actually allowing the quanta of of the flows of writing to to interact and to be superposed. Oh, For some reason, I just felt like immensely sad about what is philosophy because it's like, how do you do the rhizome alone? And what Deleuze ends up with is like this perfect pure crystal of time. You know what I mean? That su- the superposes all of their concepts onto one another. Right. And he and you know what I mean? He does all the he buggers themselves or something. You know what I mean? Well, in, in, and in Guattari's absence, right? And in his ab, in his like in his gaping wound of an absence, like how do you do that, right? Right. Like, and it's, um, well, it's an homage. Yeah. It is an homage. It is a. It really is. It's a work it's, of, yeah, more. And it's yeah. not. And 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 he neither tried to imitate Guattari's voice or to solicit it from some seance or you know to channel him in some sort of way that in the last instance would be uh disingenuous right he he tries to write from where he is at at that moment and includes guattari in the authorship of it because it probably was the product of the what it was published in 91 so it was a decade since a thousand plateaus that they had published together at least beyond some shorter writings that they may have done. So, you know, uh, it's, but Deleuze is the one, you know, safeguarded with the task of editing and, and proposing, which he, which has always been his primary task, at least as they admit. Um, so, you know, a question of without Guattari's presence of selecting and 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 allowing for for uh, you know Guattari to to assemble beyond presence um, beyond the grave without some sort of mystical <laughs> phantasmatic presence and so that's why it is an eminently Deleuzian book obviously but I think it's you know it's a you could say, okay, boomer. It's a boomer reflection. <laughs> I mean, Deleuze is also 
near the end of his life too. And so it, it is that crepuscular uh, side, but Deleuze himself points that out in the introduction and kind of laughs at it. And yeah, no, the, yeah. there's the, the book is so fun and beautiful. And, but like, I, 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 I do see where Larwell's coming, coming from. It's like, it, he's like, it doesn't, I, I, I see it almost as an aesthetic critique. At, at least that's how I'm seeing it right now is like, you know, the rhizome doesn't work alone. You just end up with a big pure crystal. You know what I mean? It's the pure crystal of, of philosophy that, you know, that wants to produce an encounter that can't help but encounter singularities and get transformed and have these like internal movements. Right. But it has to have, it, it's not a sumo wrestler. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, doesn't function the same way anymore. And, you know, and, and it's, he's wrapped it up inside of itself, you know, like all the enigmas in Deleuze's early work that were open, they're kind of closed. Do you know what I mean? Spinoza's answered them. Uh, yeah, I, that's, I, I, I just think that with, the, with, without the context being capitalism and schizophrenia, which we have to remember was written in mind of two volumes, right? So even if Anti-Oedipus isn't written in the style of the plateau, it provides the springboard and some of the, the fallow ground upon which such a conception of an experimental task, a, a task of, of quantifying writing, of, of, of composing lines into plateaus, this was undertaken in the second volume so what is philosophy doesn't in order to remain true to uh, its own attempts at envisioning philosophy, it's no longer in that mode, right? The, right. the, the at a thousand plateaus and anti-Oedipus don't concern themselves with what philosophy is. It's not it's a good point. even close and, and to the they, main concern. So yeah. What is philosophy emphasizes it that he's like, this is not, I think it starts off with this. Like, yeah. With, with saying that like, it's only at the end when you're actually looking back and asking what you've been doing that, that you finally ask the question. Right. So it, it is, is, it is a, a question of old age or something. Well, Deleuze is looking back on his own. I mean, this is, this is a statement about Deleuze's own life, right? This is, this, yeah. this is a statement about what at the end of the day, after the, 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 the journey he has gone on, what does he propose? And I don't think that it invalidates, what I think that Anti-Oedipus and Thousand Plateaus were actually doing something much different, but that doesn't mean that they're exclusionary or that they're mutually exclusive. And that the questions that Deleuze tries to answer and, and leave closed is merely a question for what philosophy is, not for um, what it can be. And I think Laura Well tries to push him there, that for the, new, for, the, for the genesis of new practices and writings of philosophy, one has to forego this internal uh, unity of contraries, this decisionality that that philosophy submits to itself in the last instance in order to elaborate itself as though it were elaborating the real. And Larwell wants to foreclose that, that there's no longer an ability for, for philosophy to answer and ask this question. It can't propose the problem and solution of its field from within itself. And I think that's also what draws Deleuze to Laruel, and, and I think Deleuze sees something there. That's what makes him curious. That's what makes him ask. 
and say, hey, Larwell, here's some footnotes. Why isn't it non-science? And I don't know if Larwell... Is, is this the question that Larwell is replying, replying to? In there's, the, in, there's, yeah, there's two footnotes. Replying. There's two. And, you know, the first is is merely this praise, you know, for for Larwell and go see philosophy and non-philosophy. But the last footnote in the book is this this lingering question about why non-philosophy why is it non-science? And for Lara Well, science, especially in this latest version as generic science, already thinks in such a way that is imminent and that doesn't need as a whole to be submitted. Because for him... Science can't submit outside of itself to some higher science. Like that would, that's, that's the only, it, it can't. It, like as a it, whole. I guess that's the thing that non-science for Laura Well would be science submitting to philosophy again, right? To get Heidegger or Kant to, in the, in the, in the peace treaty between the two to say, okay, but philosophy gets to decide what science is. And I think that that Laro wants to guard against that. He doesn't. He doesn't think non-science is appropriate. That that science can't go to another discourse, uh, philosophy least of which, to say, okay, what am I? Uh, and what what can I be submitted to? That those would would be simulated objective appearances of a power takeover that science has always been struggling with. So it's funny. I'm tempted to try to ask some questions about art and to try to keep going here for a moment. Cause that was like the other side of, again, if we remember the, the, the ladder between the sensible and the intelligible, like that's the other end is like the, the problem in the, of sense. And if you make, if you try to make a concept of it, it like explodes, you know what I mean? Like, cause you're trying, cause you're trying to build a concept of the transcendental, which is like, we don't yet, have the underpinnings for it. We don't have a transcendental psychology of mind that can like construct the necessary, you know what I mean? We have like the intimations that such a thing might be possible or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, like even as we're also like constructing mechanically a lot of the things, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot about science and like intelligence or something, but like, it, I guess the suggestion is it's like, we're intuiting our way there. You know what I mean? Also, we're like, we're sensing what kind of, you know, things could, could work in terms of like transforming our thoughts and feelings and estimations to like make new things possible, new, new, new thoughts, new sciences, new, new forms of art. I guess, I guess this is what you're getting at earlier is that all four of the lines are intermingled and that any authentic creation is going to like involve elements of all of them. You know, you're, and, and, you know, it's through a line of depersonalization, but also you can't get rid of your personal experience when, you know what I mean? Like it's I, I, maybe to put a bow on some of the, it, the questions of individuation that we kind of started off with, with Nietzsche and society, you know what I mean? And like the, the, the sense of ethics. Right. Um, and I, and I guess I would want to just try to pose a question about ethical aesthetics. Cause I think that's the big guitarian frame but we don't usually think about it. And I guess the question would be, what's the ethical aesthetics of philosophy? 
And I think this is what, what his philosophy kind of tries to show is like, you know, you're going to encounter bad feelings when you try to interact directly with the plane. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, it's too intense. The intensities are too much for your individuated cellular matrix. You know what I mean? What do you, what do you think? I think that, I think it's that, like trying to, here's a, here's an ethical aesthetic guide to philosophy as, as the homage, as like the content of the homage to Guattari. I that, think that, that what, what Laura would say about, his conception of law philosophy, like yoking the definitive article to philosophy as the French would have to do is that it is less a territory upon which, uh, to, you know, um, it's more of a field, right? It's more of a, it has to be thought as uh, as this wave superposed upon itself in this quantic way if if we are to radicalize the notion of philosophy and not merely to as i was saying earlier about Deleuze, to turn it into this territoriality upon to and in in the best case sort of bugger and deterritorialize these previous figures in the history so as to elicit some um some ascent within the community of philosophers who would be writing the history of philosophy, right? So if we remain on that level, we remain within the level of the archive. We remain within this level of uh, philosophical decisionality that, that, that cuts out these territories of uh, linguistic domains, these, these interplay of this chorus of, of, of a certain intermingling of jargons. And we have to move it beyond this that field. Um, we have to move it beyond this this signifying field because I think this is where Laro and Guattari really really yes. gel. But this does so. This exactly this doesn't mean beyond ethico aesthetics. No, no, not beyond. I guess that. Good and bad, right? I guess that 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 what I was trying to say is that for Laroel, in order to allow for a more harmonious. The, the, the introduction of democracy into thought, I think, for Laurel comes at the price of philosophy giving up its repression of its foreclosure to the real. It's giving up its constitutive, foundational, and also mystically authoritative uh, yeah. uh, impulse in its discourse and realizing itself um realizing that it is itself adrift and and in this way that can be submitted to a science that is at the same time a poetics this or axiomatic uh deployment of non-standard philosophies uh that can resonate in their singularities without having to cancel out without being in this as Laura well it's this difference between you know, first we have to sort of deterritorialize philosophy, philosophies uh, which form this matrix of law philosophy. We have to deterritorialize them in such a way that we see them less as corpuscles and as these stable mm. macro entities. And we have to see them as particles, as as in 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 a way function that means no it's, it's beautiful it's beautiful it's very much like the body without organs if philosophy i was about to say it's yeah, not it's it not is. clearly just a formalization of the rhizome and like yes how to ethico aesthetically approach 
you know, but I guess the point is it, it's not the fully ramified theory of non-philosophy that, that has this built-in set of, of like defenses against certain philosophical resistances. Well, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's the thing. If philosophy can submit an assent, cause, cause Laura was like, look, no matter what we do, non-philosophy is not trying to obliterate philosophy. That's a pointless task. There will always be philosophy. One can always philosophize this notion that everything is philosophizable is very much like Guattari is every, everything is redundant with everything else. And so it's, it's always about this, that, 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 that the enemy is, is, is what, Guattari points out to be um, the sort of uh, precedence, the prevalence given given to semiology, which um, would be the strict domain of interpretation and 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 signifiance, as Bonvenise lays out. Which you know, um, which sort of is why in what the fifth plateau on the regimes of signs, they point out that the signifying, the post-signifying, they are about these resonance of resonances of frequency and, uh, an interaction, right? It's, it's, it's always about a sign is redundant with another sign and one can sort of signify in ad, ad, ad infinitum. And then the points of subjectification that sort of arise upon that. And that what, <clears throat> this is where, it's about sort of mapping the the, the positive uh, transformations uh, 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 across fields in the mixture of these different semiotics and using not just the pre-signifying uh, and the counter-signifying, but potentially other categories of uh, the regimes of signs in order to 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 push forward the um, the becoming that language is in its mobilization of passwords and order words, right? Insofar as yeah. you know, insofar as language, this is, yeah, this is beautiful, man. You're like seamlessly blending Larwell and Guattari, making them sound like allies. I think and they are, yeah, or like very close in a certain way, I guess, right? But yeah, but. All right, we're we're at like hour twenty. We should probably break, even if just for bio break. But um, but this, but also that that seems like it was the the a lot. So I guess uh, just let me in on one this this one point, please. Yes, no, go for it. Because I I do see Guattari and um, Larwell. In the first instance, they <clears throat> accord based on. Larwell's um, his interaction with Deleuze and Derrida and and the textual machines for him was about um, plugging deconstruction into um, plugging deconstruction and transcendental empiricism into a machine that 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 coalesced into what he calls the libido of writing, which is about how the force of a text is it's atextual uh, forces. It's a signifying machinic yeah, you value. Keep, you keep returning to this. And so you should, yeah, you should, I, I would ask you to unpack it, but but I don't want to. I don't want to push this. But yeah, I, I I would just end with provocatively with saying that Guattari 
seems to indicate that those are the most, insofar as they have the most deterritorialized elements, they are the ones to pay closest attention to when we map uh, becomings. Um, collectively, micropolitically, uh, etc. That that for him, that's how he finds the singularities, and I think that that's something that that points to Simon Don as as the hidden link that really allows Laruel and Guatri to like resonate. Um, as that's the that's that's kind of what I've tried to pursue in my translating. So um, it's a fascinating line, and I, it's funny you've, you've like you've made the you've made the overarching like structural case for it. At least it seems sweet. To, to write about women and their and and a plot of women and then and even talk about a kind of latent misogyny in, in Homer but then to refuse to ever cite female scholars the dozens and dozens of whom have, have written on Homer and this question and so it, it was really about a, a kind of an indictment of antiquity yeah. scholarship in general and yeah. we can you can yeah. see that throughout all kinds of different disciplines a kind of well, first is this question of academia and the status of the chorus of scholarly voices with whom one treks this, you know, this this journey of, of scholarship. I think I cut out. No, no, you're fine. Sorry. Okay. No, no. I, and and I guess that 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 each discipline has these these gaps and and these disparities. I mean, obviously, within even a single thinker alone, it may be difficult to sort of bridge uh, all scholarship in in the various languages. Um, so. I mean, for example, one of our favorite scholars, you know, like Deleuze or say take Nietzsche or Marx trying to like involve all of the disparate voices within even one's own language in that secondary field is 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 uh, it's overwhelming and it's and it's bound to lead to kind of hasty stereotyped renditions and 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 sort of of arguments of claims and i think this is why deleuze's productive way of reading and his very charitable especially when he's working with guattari his very charitable way of reworking various authors like in the different plateaus for example of a thousand plateaus the the footnotes also tell this subterranean this substratic story to the movements of the thoughts that uh, are supposedly musical, right? There are these refrains that that are, are meant to be sort of listened to. If one could treat a book as a as a record, you know, as they say. 
And I think it's just the burden of the, the scholar to like involve as many scholarly voices in a positive way or, you know, add argumentum way um, versus, you know, um, versus what Nietzsche would say would be a true philosopher, right? He even claimed Hegel and Kant were these, these scholars, these, these laborers of philosophy and not true, true thinkers. Um, whether or not that's justified is, is, is sort of mood. It's this question. You've always got this anxiety of influence in, in every field. And, uh, and it can lead to one, either becoming merely an archivist and historian of the field versus the sort of arrogance and confidence and, and ambition to like become a primary author oneself, you know, and that's, I mean, that really does give us back to Homer and, and Achilles and his, and his plight and whether well, to become immortal in battle right. or, and die or to go and live a long fat life on the farm. I, I, I think there's like an entirely, I mean, it's, it's at least curious, interesting to me. I would just say that we, that Nietzsche came up in, in an apparently innocent list of, you know, authors who, whose corpus has formed like this big secondary field of literature that like endlessly works. Philology. Today. Yeah. Um, well, it, no, it misogyny. And this Nietzsche's oh. like this, you know, or at least has has this somewhat deserved reputation for misogyny. It's obviously possible to deconstruct elaborately. Like you know, he's a major driver of Derrida's work. He's like he's like this. The you know part of part of the sense of deconstruction is one of these operations, like you described. You know, is happening within Homer studies. Um, in in other words, that the uh, the this 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 you know this narrative that wants to rediscover quote unquote reactionary themes in Homer you know is in fact un un undermined by the revolutionary and radical readings of Homer that that discover precisely the opposite and all these things um, you know but I mean look superficially obviously there's just a lot of wailing women in Homer but like at the at the deconstructed radical level it's like these these women are articulating a coherent anti-war kind of ethics. Right. Um, and there, there, there is like a, a radical call for a, a transformation in human conditions and in, in the figure of, of Odysseus in a certain way. Um, and like a, he, like he heralds the, you know, modernism in all social institutions in a certain way, the injection of cunning into thinking or something. Um, and in particular into state thinking, I think that would be an interesting question right. between the Odyssey and the state. So the Odyssey is this nomad war machine that the you know of cunning that the state has to capture for itself to become a cunning to become the prince or something to become a cunning intelligence. Um, but anyway, I, the, the very superficial thing was obviously that like there's an exactly parallel symmetrical set of claims and counterclaims about Nietzsche, right? Like both the Oh, we can discover at least this one reactionary theme in Nietzsche of misogyny. So therefore, all the other reactionary misattributions belong to him. As you know what I mean, and then but then you can counterpose and say, look, there's all these radical and revolutionary female authors writing deep, elaborate things, and then I guess on top of that, you've got you know like this deconstructive reading of Nietzsche, which like 
begins to tease apart some of these things and like is is just in general like a more sober honest kind of look at the material in a certain way right one that isn't quite as hasty but you know i mean and eager to make judgments about homer and nietzsche are are radical misogynists or radical egalitarians or like when really the truth is more complicated for each of them and blah 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 no, but that's 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 precisely the point. I think that the the claims of misogyny against Nietzsche could be similar to the claims of uh, these fascist readings of Nietzsche that Laruel claims is Nietzsche as, insofar as he has authorial agency, is 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 trying to lure, is trying to clothe himself in a certain fascist language, and in, in order to like lure the enemy in, and then and then like. Uh, drown him or 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 embrace him and so as to like snuff him out um whether or not that holds throughout his oeuvre is is a kind of like it, it is it is a little bit like up to question but i think this is Laurel's way of 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 showing that in the last instance uh the interaction between the fascist pole and the revolutionary pole and Nietzsche is, as you said, much more complicated and it draws out a kind of dynamics of struggle that goes beyond the text and has to do with a kind of libidinal force that, you know, suffuses um, society. It is this movement of desire that Deleuze tries to like work forth. And uh, so his misogyny, like for, for me, for example, when I, See when he has these aphorisms about um, bringing a whip in the encounter of woman. It's precisely because man is is in a position of weakness that one needs a weapon. Um, and if we if we read Nietzsche as merely a reactionary, we do it to the detriment of 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 a much more uh, nuanced. And I would say the the bulk of his text that provides counterweights and counterproofs, as though these earlier fascistic, misogynistic, uh, reactionary statements were merely a, a foil or a mask to or an idol in the image of the contemporary thought that 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 needed to be tested out and and made hollow by these deep these this subterranean activity that thinking for Nietzsche is. So you're, I, I guess I'm now thinking about like, it's funny about hoisting and treases and obviously all these Derridian themes. Like what, what if we, what if we were to just directly try to pose some of these questions about like the role of women in the Odyssey and in particular, maybe not just the whaling women that, that are everywhere. Um, in the work, obviously, but some of the the more interesting women like Circe, who, um, you know, gets her own interesting retelling of the story in in, in a modern in a, in a modern work, right? Um, or a rather contemporary one. But I, I guess I'm thinking of the sirens, right? And how it's like it again. It's at least it is this like funny structural game where like Odysseus like like wants to hear has to hear but like it's like somehow disastrous you know what I mean um 
it's potentially and disastrous for his crew. If and they yet were it's to be it, lured, yeah, yeah, and yet he is the singular individual who is supposed to endure and suffer this, right? This, but he's he's so crafty about it, right? How does one suffer the insufferable without leading to perdition? He builds a, he builds a machine. He ho- he he tr- hoists himself up and like ties himself down, right? Yep. Like and yeah, but I mean, he also stuffs his crew's ears. With the beeswax, right? They're they're not allowed to hear it, right? Yes, he is. He is. Yeah, it's his event to undergo, right? It's he is the yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 I mean, it's it is deconstruction. You know what I mean? Like, or like, I guess that's the the. There's a funny poem with this title that like that says that what the what the sirens in the Odyssey saying was the Odyssey, and like this. That, that that this is the circuit you know what i mean that like the only thing that would be so disastrous right would be to to i don't know like to 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 for his ship to be drawn you know in onto the rocks you know yes. what i mean like it's there's there's no there's no content they can tell you know like they could tell the worst curses and describe the worst fates but like what impact would it even have it's like their song has this mystical, this other dangerous quality. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like it's not in its formal content. Right. But rather some, it's resonance or something. The way it magically, like I think we're back to maybe Gorgias and the magical, I think of Helen. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. And I, I guess that would be the question, right? Like Helen looms large in the Odyssey, obviously, right? She's like the cause's belly, right? Yeah, she is. She um, is. So what do what do we do with that? Like obviously everything is set in motion with like the this 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 kidnap and ravishing right. or you know like justifiable escape and marriage depending on your right. position. In the- I mean, if 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 one feminizes Poseidon, then all the all the antagonistic and protagonistic forces, save for Odysseus, are more or less female, right? You know. Right. Uh, and Poseidon could easily be feminized through, you know, by way of the ocean and and all of that if one wanted to like become symbolic. But the point being, you know, it's you're right. It's Helen at the cause. It's um, Athena takes becomes the the power the the power force to to lead Odysseus through some of the mo- the trickiest situations. Uh, the sirens, Skillis and Charybda, Circe, Calypso—they're all these, you know, threats that are that have a, a, a female gender. They're adventure. They're like episodes. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And um, as Freud would say, the dark continent, right? You know, in a maybe a cynical way, but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I guess to get to get back to some of the things you were saying. Um, With the sirens, I was wanting to respond that, you know, the siren is the logo of Starbucks. Obviously comes from Melville's Moby Dick. He's the... Yeah, maybe they were just selling Starbucks and he's like, man, I can't let my crewmates get distracted by the the great offers on on coffee we should get uh should get starbucks but but the siren is is also the lore it's the caffeine as the (laughs) as the ritual of repetition for which 
the drug of choice for capitalistic vigilance and surplus value. So like the siren is luring the customer back in because I mean, part of the, the connecting with customers at Starbucks is, is to create a, the reproduction of capital to create a, uh, what one might call a regular and not just to have a, you know, a one-time transaction. Yeah. Obviously other stores work this way too, but the siren as the symbol, as the face of the, of that, which lures one and moors one to a, to an island, to a, to a territorialization from which one is loath yeah, to like unmore oneself. I love that. I love this connection with the, with the Pharmacon. Cause it's like, it, it is, it is clearly both. You know what I mean? The song is is so beautiful you can't bear not to hear it right right? um and yeah and but yet it's poison you know what i mean like and well well, yeah i mean there's i guess that's the thing right it's it's a rhythm it's a it's there's a rhythm of of the regularity of the workday one needs caffeine in order to function better to, to to work better and and so there is something about that um but you and, don't. You don't. The human body, at least in its natural state, is not in a state of permanent dependence on the external input of caffeine. No, but it. But it's always annexing these different energy sources, right? It's it's beyond the alimentary, as Deleuze and Guattari might say, about these annex milieus. It allows one to breathe, right? There's something about caffeine that uh, allows one to adjust, if one will. I mean this is negative, but to adjust to the demands of the extraction of labor power as surplus value, right? It, it allows one to adjust to the, to the social uh, regime of signs and the sort of uh, machinic assemblage. In the industrial cadence of life, which right. is sleep deprived. But... Well, exactly. It's sleep deprived and it demands, uh, on the whole, it demands a kind of vigilance. It demands a kind yeah. of wakefulness. You just, that... you just, I feel like you're pushing me into like the Zizek territory because it's like Starbucks. And then like, again, it's Derrida to supplement, you know what I mean? And it, and like, it literally, like you're pointing out functions as one in the machinery. And then like, right. but the, it's, it's also like symptomatic, right, right? Of our collective unconscious because it's like, okay, instead of actually doing, you know, like, ideological critique and understanding the role of like corporations like Starbucks in the gentrification of cities and the transformation of neighborhoods and of our daily lives and of our increasing. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't know. Like, I mean, like there's, there is that like addictive character of like that, that obviously capital gravitates towards like these sort of biological inputs that people become dependent on. And like cigarettes are, I guess, just the most obvious one where it just, it seems yeah. so ethically fucked up that like, that people are profiting off of like the, 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 the death and despair of lots of people. And, um, well, I mean, in the name you, of freedom, you, in the name of freedom of choice, but right. like, right. Right. Well, you brought up Zizek. So like part of the interesting thing about the kernel of desire is precisely to miss that, which is desired, but to like sort of capture it so as to renew the chase again. And, and you have decaffeinated uh, Starbucks drinks. A lot of people just 
it's it's, it's almost fascinating. A, it's, it's fascinating like to me the placebo it's, effect. Why did you go to Starbucks to get a decaf? I, like, well, I you, have, you have decaf, but you also better. have you also have uh, non-alcoholic beverages. How okay. how does how does one celebrate amidst company and in bad taste drink water? You can't cheers with water, right? You can't like uh, raise a toast with water. One has to partake, and so if one is partaking non-alcoholically, you 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 still have that entry into the symbolic order or whatever the fuck. Um, there's obviously, yeah, there's, so there's, you know, there's non-caffeinated, uh, coffee and, and, but you also now have with vapes, you have, you can just smoke for the flavor and have non-nicotine, uh, blends for your, you could also, take, you could also inject your caf- caffeine that way. Well, yeah, it's, but I think that one of the things that Zizek, you know, points out through Lacanian psychoanalysis is this kind of this this is this is part of capitalism's lore too is is it's precisely the routine and not the individual uh psychical enhancement of the the molecular encounter of these different drugs that we uh we sort of annex that uh kind of spells the lie of desire and and it constitutes these different symptoms that we adjust to but but I think that that's it. It's not just a placebo effect. Uh, it's it's more so, right? This this ritual, and the placebo effect is just kind of a subordinate, like, example of it. Because um, for Nietzsche too, the whole the whole like rooting of belief in the substructure of society through desire was ritualization, right? It's once one loses the ritual or takes them less seriously, or doesn't enforce them, that's when religions die. That's when beliefs, that's when culture's unity uh, subsides to these this onslaught of other forces. That's when one gets mixed types, which we talked about last time with Plato, and, and, um, and this subsumption of the past, but in a way that is it's precisely the mixture that I think for Nietzsche and then for Larwell are things to be guarded against. It's 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 the it's the precariousness of the alchemist of the chemist who doesn't know the proper ratios, doesn't know the proper. Um, I love that. Yeah, complicity man. of these forces that once one mixes them, it's it's really it leads to to something destructive rather than something productive yeah no i i really like that the point about the ratios and sorry i didn't mean to, to interrupt you no no i it's good i was i was i was on a i i there was a lot there i i i want you to take your time and you know if you want to take it a different direction i trust you so let's like yeah well i mean just like on on the last bit, I guess just like you got me thinking and reflecting about just like Laura Well now, and I'm not sure how I can relate it directly back to the Odyssey, but I think it's like it's just within reach basically because because of the territory we're in. But like, it, if I I think I think my question is about the it's it's funny it's not it's not just wondering about the one, but like about the rationality of philosophy. It strikes me that a lot of the 
the the sort of the meta philosophical critique dimensions of non philosophy kind of center around dis- decisional I mean dis- the decisional structures and matrices like this kind of this lattice work that we kind of presume to be in place already and it's like and so much philosophy is obsessed with this question too of like beginnings and origins and yes like you know like where where does where can we sensibly begin amidst chaos right and and it, it, i mean it strikes me larwell like at his at the most basic and like oversimplified level like but he's there there is this articulation of like look you're smuggling in all these decisions you're smuggling in this whole ma- i mean it's right. like there's a dimension of like okay you're smuggling in this philosophical frame and maybe there's a Deleuzean dimension of like okay like and on that frame you're populating with all these kind of like machines that like work in a certain way and right. you're not questioning any of that right like right. and it's and it, that all springs into existence fully formed from athena's head and you, you're just playing with playing with it like they're toys right and like right. i think this is maybe like if we're talking about nietzsche and the greeks right like it's he comments on like this sort of the childlike character of the Greeks, right? Yes. Like, and, and it's not an insult at all. It's, no, it's to not. understand social development and like, and it's, it's to, I mean, at least the state of their ethics as compared with the Christian morality, right? Yes. Like, and it's yes. sort of like spiritual and like, like, well, because there's like, something, there's like, something nihilistic and cynical about, about the Christians for, for well, Nietzsche. There's, there's something there exhausted, a, old. There's an abyssal depth there. Yeah. But like, right. but I think, like another dimension of the becoming child of the Greeks. And it's funny, it's a commonplace, but like it's, they read aloud. Right. And that like, it just, it, 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 it maybe it's, obvious, but they also memorized, but, they memorized uh, uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad. Right. Well, I think it's one of the reasons maybe that writing felt so poisonous was because you could put someone else's words hmm. into your, you know what I mean? You could, right. you could steal them. Right. And like, and copy them around. And like it was Plato to recognize and deconstruct it, or something like this, and like to invent. Plato mastered it. He, right? Yeah, he inherited writing in such a way that he wrote speeches, or he wrote dialogues. I mean, it's not a. I mean, it it doesn't. It obviously makes sense. And Derrida, you just pointed it out. He finds the crux of it. You know, he may turn to Rousseau in the origins of writing to like help further elaborate this in a modern sense, but he does turn to Plato and Socrates in this and in this instantiation of of a kind of binary um, valorization of the presence of speech versus this absence of writing. And so it's this binary like exclusivity that for him explains the whole of metaphysics and we are that helps us to kind of crystallize our own current predicament concerning uh the role of presence and larwell still in in his investigations of quantum mechanics and abstract algebra and philosophy as hermeneutic material for this kind of imminent uh way of generically translating thought he 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 the one of the main one of the principal enemies is this unquestioned double 
present presence, this, this reflexive presence that sort of structures transcendence in its, in its double loop and its, in its self circularity. And I think that's why he turns to the wave via the complementarity of the wave and the particle to sort of parse what presence would be if it were an amplitude toward the future that isn't teleologically to come. I know that was a kind of a no. That's 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 a very nice like deconstruction of Laruel or something. Yeah, like. And I think that the same thing happens in the drama of the narrative of the of the Odyssey that it is it is not a foregone conclusion that Odysseus returns. It is in fact, if one were a betting man, one would bet against Odysseus. All the others have returned and met such harsh fates, and luckily their fates have been captured by some sort of bardic tradition, but Odysseus's status remains mysterious. It remains cloaked in mystery, and it remains much more um, delayed. It is much more... It, it favors itself to Derrida's analysis of deference, which is yeah, no, he's a differing and a delay or something. He's right. already like from the beginning of the, from before the beginning of the tale, he's already lost. You're right. Yeah. But he, he arrives at his destination. That's what I was going to tell you or try to ask you about the sirens and, and destiny. And maybe we could get, or try to circle back around. Right. Um, to understand something about the role of women here. And, and again, maybe like women in philosophy, I guess, is the thing I'm thinking right now. And just like, and they're exclusion. I'm not even thinking like a large deconstruction of philogocentrism, but just like kind of how relentlessly masculine coded so much of this language and technical structure is. Um, and it's like, it's obviously like to Derrida's credit that he's like helped us catch sight of it. But yeah, there's. I think there's the work of deconstruction. But Plato too, to right? Done. I mean, I mean, Plato yeah. through Socrates in the symposium and some of the most beautiful paragraphs, um, Socrates tells the story about how he learned philosophy and he learns it from Diotima and Diotima is the one that, that, that convinces him of the probity and the, and the justness and justice of this love of wisdom. Now, Socrates then does something that Plato, I think, is clever for because he then distends and twists and does a kind of maximal wrong to this inheritance from, uh, from Diotima, from a female source, and turns it into an exclusively male thing without really showing the political implications of such twisting. But it now becomes that the philosopher, who is always a male, impregnates this younger man whom he grooms and helps to reach adulthood. But he impregnates him with philosophy, with his, you know, fucking intellectual, spiritual semen, and then gives birth to a philosopher. And by doing so, you know, he Plato shows us the patriarchal double bind and yet... Um, eventual uh conquering of the feminine because it appropriates to itself the metaphorically analogically uh dubiously the 
biological uh, event of, of, of giving birth that, that females naturally possess. And by doing so, it, it actually shows the impetus of men, that men actually don't make life. No, they, unless, yeah. unless they can make, make books. Right. This is dissemination for Derrida, right? This is that 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 uh, uh, double entendre of de- dissemination. It's the spreading of the seed, uh, which is obviously a New Testament parable too, and the, the question of fallow ground. And um, so there is at the heart of Socrates's appropriation a kind of jealousy of the of the woman's procreative ability. And one sees yeah. this one sees this in Greek mythology too. One sees this in what Kronos does to Rhea. Um and, and and you see this in Antiedipus, right? Antiedipus, you know, in uh, they, they 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 begin to question Freud about the that that where does the edible complex start? And it doesn't start in the mind of the son, it starts in the mind of the father. It starts in the father's own, it starts in Laius's own. Uh, realization that his son will overthrow him. It starts in Cronus's own uh, realization by the Oracle that his son will overthrow him. And so the father is the one who sets in motion the, the mechanisms whereby uh, in the same stroke, one psychically and socially represses the, the offspring and therefore triangularizes and edipalizes him. So, um, you know, Oedipus is doomed from the start, not just, not just by the oracles, but by the father. And so this is why, you know, um, I used to think of the Oedipus complex as a young child facing my own puberty and all of that adolescence as, as a Cronus complex, because it's it's really Cronus that sets that that by trying to change the fate of the, the son vanquishing him, he actually actualizes it. And you see this in... Um, certain contemporary films like 12 monkeys um where every you know it's that, that by ch- trying to change the future calamity one actually makes it happen or at least yeah ha- at no, least no, no, catalyzes no, it that is oedipus that is how it, yes. that works it's the double bind it's like you're you're being compelled by by something like logic, but that feels demonic, right? That's like keeps pushing you towards the unacceptable conclusion. And you're like, and the drama proceeds by those logical increments, right? Right, right. There are also generational degrees that are getting collapsed. And it's really this primary horror that animates the holy dread. That's how the story starts, right? At at work in like the the, the Greek theater that like, yeah. Well, it starts with the plague, right? Or it starts with this. Um, it starts with a threatening of birth rate. It, it kind of starts with a. If we talk about Oedipus Rex, I think that's you made a turn to the actual like tragedy, right? Sorry, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I guess I'm like it's hard, it's hard not to conflate them a little. I mean, like Freud obviously is inspired by like a showing of Oedipus or something. You know? Oh, I just meant that the that the the drama begins in Oedipus Rex with the city itself is under a kind of plague, right? A disease. And it's, is it, am I wrong? Is it not a, like a disease of, it, it, it sounds not 
like unlikely. I'll just put, it sounds super plausible. Well, it's I'll like city it of what is it? Is it city of all right? What's it's the, like a cursed what, city? You know what I mean? It's yeah. under a cloud, if not actually diseased. But it's, yeah, the um, I'm thinking of a film. The it's Thebes, right? What's it yeah. called? Thebes. Oh, sorry. No, the city is Thebes. It's, it's not the city of lost children. It's the no. It's it's um. It's hmm. it's the movie where women, children of men. Thank you. So, I children, children. Have you seen Children of Men? Uh, I guess I. I think it, I've seen it. It's like, basically I'm not there, a, like watch it carefully. But. I mean, in a nutshell, this po- in this post-apocalyptic moment, um, fertility rates have basically dropped to zero. Uh, with with the exception of of you know some miracle happenings and it is this drawn out maybe decade to a decade and a half to 20 years long crisis that ends up causing all kinds of international um, not just not just between nations but inter and international um, unrests that you know leads society to its demise and its collapse uh, and its right wingization it's kind of you it's, know, it's childhoods in without aliens right. right yeah right 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 exactly so um in that sense it is kind of an eminence or a let's say a diametrical opposite of the zombie apocalypse Right, the zombies are within, but the undead is precisely the lack of ability to reproduce. Um, it's this crisis of reproduction, and I think that you know one can analogously talk about capital and the reproduction of capital, but here it is a biological reproduction, and obviously that has its own repercussions on uh, sociodynamics or economic dynamics and you know like in one of our favorite post-apocalyptic games uh fallout you know there is this ultimate irony that um quote-unquote nuka-cola caps right these caps of uh of of soft drinks become the the dominant or the universal currency um i think here it is more that the currency of bio power or even just power in both senses bio capacity it, it becomes primary and pretty much all economic exchange is it, it has reduced itself to bartering to a subservient or warmongering level and i think it's that 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 kind of shows that um, what Foucault would call biopower, or just the the states or the equilibrium's ability to like fall back on biological capacity via labor power and its other manifestations to produce a kind of stable equilibrium that precludes the metastable conditions of you know, what various accelerationisms might think of as the apocalypse and its yeah. potential instantiations. 
So, I mean, what, what do you think about the, I mean, like, obviously it's a rich and, and kind of a, a metaphorical tenor without a vehicle in a lot of ways, but like, you know, clearly there's at least one reading in which it's, it, it, I, I mean, I guess that, that was the thing I was thinking about when you were like trying to unfurl some of the economic implications about like, well, look, if there's no long-term evaluation of value, like it does contract to zero and there isn't general commerce, you know, generic laws for, for commercial exchange. Right. Intensity equals zero. Without without, like the long-term like expectation or time horizon. Yes. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I guess that's just, I mean, that's But, 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 but back to Odysseus, this, obviously we've talked about this many times. This, that's the beautiful, or just the literary device that like we get this story of where does Odysseus get his name? He gets it from his grandfather and his grandfather's like shenanigans and how Odysseus is the one who harms, the one who causes pain, the one who hurts. And, and yet his name is also self-reflective because it's about his, his, there's only, he has to carry the line through one child. He gets one chance to carry his line forward. For whatever his forefathers did, that's his curse, and 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 so Telemachus helps to anchor the if if he didn't have to come back to save his child, you know, there wouldn't be the same tension. So this no, notion, he could have just stayed yeah. with, with Cersei or something. But like you know, I, exactly. I, I I guess the the thing I was trying to think about with like the time horizon question is like yeah i i don't know just like i mean it's more existential just about the way we're kind of foreclosing on the future with like so many aspects of our our decisions today just like collectively and like our collective permission and decision structure even irrational as it was seems to have fallen apart and it 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 seems like the i don't know i think it's easy to get like it's easy to become kind of apocalyptic given the the time horizons of the climate emergency and true the, true the, the obvious incapacity of any of the political system to react with any kind of critical urgency right and you know i mean obviously when when the children are lecturing us there's there's something going on um i yeah man i don't know like i mean I, like i i i think i think there's I think we're in children of men to some degree, at least around the, right. the the collapse of the time horizon, which like, which should cause us to, as Greta says, it should cause us to panic. You know, well, what I mean? you, you, you yeah. can sense, you can sense a kind of yearning fictionalization of the apocalypse from each generation. And this is not something that's, that's postmodern or modern. This is Baudrillard writes beautiful lines about this, about the, um, how the narrative of the end of the world is something that really pervades uh, many, many older societies. And they they each entail their different anxieties and different, you know, yearnings and different, um, he kind of historious, he, he socializes, you know, he's through his discipline of sociology, he sees it through that lens, but you know, I think totality, right? Like, I mean, at the, in the present moment that you're bringing up, it, it really does seem like the apocalypse is less 
that to capitalism as Zizek always forces us to try to <laughs> approach to think um, rather than the erosion, this kind of death by a thousand cuts of democratic, what we call norms. And so it's the question of whether or not our values shift uh, with respect to, to the erosion of those norms in a one-to-one -one correspondence, or if a certain counterpoint of values, a sort of counter upsurge of values um, attempts to reassert what should be norm. And so it's, it, it then becomes a question of how one appreciates the decadence of values in in relation to the metastable equilibrium of norms and whether one merely fights against all norms in a kind of uh, leotardian or, you know, certain uh, vein of accelerationism, maybe unconditional acceleration. You know, it's, it's all about this like erosion of norms and, and accelerating that process at all costs or if, it, or if like, at the end of the day, was... there's always, well, um, if it doesn't believe in a higher ability of values to reassert themselves on a stage that that allows for the crystallization of norms in a way that reinvigorates the revolutionary uh, axis, then yes, it's nihilistic. But if it but if it believes in that, if it if it if it allies itself with Deleuze and Guattari's analysis and anti-Oedipus um, and invests in revolutionary unconscious um or investments yeah you know then then it then it can um i mean it's one thing to it it's another to like dissolve all the values right but how can one revalue if not forced to revalue i think that's 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 the power of a certain form of nihilism and a certain form of dissipation a certain form of challenge that if one doesn't have that challenge, if one doesn't have that impetus, then one does lay back on a kind of uh, steady state that is is that in that relaxation, in that idleness comes the 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 devil's workshop, so to speak, right? So we, I think that's the tension in the the, the hollowing out of idols is the hollowing out is is both a negative and a positive. It is it is that. Um, well, it's a, it's a sounding out, right? It is like a sounding a, out that you, that you yeah. tap it with a tuning tuning fork. Yes, and I think that Nietzsche wants to make music to dance to, um, and one needs the deepest of of nihilism in order to confront it and to assert joy. If one merely asserts joy, one is merely the donkey, the slave, in Nietzsche's sense, right? One is merely without the ability to even recognize the situation in which one has to affirm. But, you know, so affirmation has to face that dark night. Otherwise, it is the beautiful soul. It is, you know, it, it is untested. It is itself its own idol. And I think that's where the, the, um, that's the glitch or that's the one catch one, that's the caveat one has to make if one affirms the Spinoza's yeah, Deleuzian affirmationism, right? It's it's funny, right? Like Spinoza begins book five by talking about like that, like about stoicism, you know, and how it's like, it's clearly like just this like repression 
and like if you if you poke and prod it's like they'll tell you it's like okay you have to like learn how to be still you know what i mean right like, okay. no, that's true and like and I don't know, it's, it's kind of almost like a, a funny point he makes about it. and then he like talks about daycare and some other but like the i i guess the thought i'm like i i'm i'm thinking is about like how like i don't know like just about how affects work you know and right like yeah, I don't know. I think it's also like, how Socratic opponents work. If 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 one is merely left with the hollow shell of nihilism, then one gets fat and lazy. You know, it's 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 when Socrates is really pushed, and when he's like, "Hey, we could drop this if I hurt your feelings," or like, or like, "Hey, let's be on the same level and let's like respond honestly." He keeps reasserting these like, "Hey, you can back out at any time," because they are pushing him too, right? They are, they are raising the stakes the agon has gone up a level in intensity and for yeah Nietzsche, no, no it's like it's super intense yeah. in the in the gorgias right. dude like they're they're basically they're basically outlining the 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 sin against philosophy that athens committed they're like they're they're saying and like look the sophists are gonna fuck you up in court yes. you know yes. what i mean they, yes. they are going to roll you old man if you don't get it together yes so democracy attention. cannot survive what the sophists bring Sophists bring it is the it's not the antinomy of democracy, but is it is its perversion in the platonic sense, right? It is to every extent a perversion away from the just in the last instance, if one lets it play out, and if the sophists are really they dominate the they make the weakest arguments dominate over the strongest for what is good and just then yes it, it it leads to the corruption of the body politic and therefore leads to the the endangerment of 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 freedoms and rights and therefore leads yeah. to a, I mean, to, I, a, to I, an I un, unstable equilibrium you, now i think that making, i think that plato's can, defense mechanisms is to not distinguish between metastable and unstable but i'll let you well, yeah, like I'm a, that feels really obscure. Or I guess like what what you're making me think is like about Gorgias and Socrates and the way Gorgias finally got into Socrates' head, and that's what the Phaedo is about. You know what I mean? Interesting, like, interesting. I don't, I don't know. That's at least the only way I'm able to like re, re, regenerate it somehow. You know, is to find the, you know, the the way in which Socrates' own method was distorted you know, or, and, and maybe this is a misreading, right? Like Deleuze would say, look, the dialectic has all the signs of using transcendence to, to crush difference. You know what I mean? Before right. He, right. Before he explicitly applies it to itself and like, you know, realizes that, you know, whatever, yes. that like thinking is dying and it's like actually okay to kill yourself if the city tell. And I mean, it's more like the honorability of the, and it's like, I, I think the idea is it's kind of a myth because in general, people don't act this way. And it's like one of this, it's like philosophy's, you know, original miracle or something, founding, founding wonder if that like, just somebody run away. Would actually, well, that somebody would say, look, I don't agree, but I accept that the rules of the game were played fairly. And, you know, I, I abide by the social contract that, you know, in my society and I will accept whatever punishment you guys decide to give me. It's just like, it's, it's articulating a kind of like a, that, I mean, that affect seems all noble and philosophical and stoic, but it's, it's very easy to detect a certain kind of deep sadness in it that like, that reminds me of no one else, but Gorgias, you know what I mean? Like it's Gorgias's melancholy. I think that like we see in Socrates in the Phaedo or anyway, I don't know why this is like, I'm 
like, feel so intensely about this. Well, I think you're right. I think, um, I think Socrates has, he has a lot of different, uh, dialogues that set up his, his death. And it really does build to it as though it were like, you know, foretold. And there's the sense going back, as I mentioned with Achilles, if Socrates is to immortalize himself in the sensible, is he to run away from this unjust faith or fate? Is it not great to be misunderstood in the greatest way and suffer the greatest injustice? It's suicide. He is praising suicide. It's martyrdom. Like no, it's Trans- martyrdom. Sentence and negativity. I, I, no, I think it's, it's martyrdom. You, you, I mean, because I know look, you do. It's, you it's, have it's to, a religious feeling. It's, it's a religious. It, it, this is this is my like religiosity, if you will. This is like where that's all I'm I saying. Try to, I try to wrong, say like right. if like like um, even atheistically, like if you take as an axiom that Jesus could have. Uh, could have escaped in the night of in the long night at, at the Garden of Gethsemane. If he could have escaped Judas's betrayal, he could have. He could have run away, just like just like Socrates. They had chances. They 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 submitted. They submitted they, they to this. It is better, you know. It is better to undergo theory. this unjust action than than to in the last instance be unjust, which for Socrates was uh the the that 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 the the sovereignty of the state in the last instance like especially hopefully in the ideal republic it has sway over an individual's desire and proclivities um so, I, so I, he I martyrs just, himself he is he is a philosophical martyr he, and plato he, endears us to he, him for all time he suicides time. himself he he murders yeah. himself and is and that is that exclusive with martyrs himself I'm just saying this is this is at least Nietzsche's analysis, right? That it like it is the contraction of all the transcendence and Nietzsche. Nietzsche wants to he wants to reject messianity to Socrates. I think Socrates tries to be a messiah of philosophy, and um, and he he fails. It's already Spinoza. You don't have to fucking kill yourself. But in that failure, I think we find. And in, in the and this is always something hard for me to reconcile. Nietzsche, and this is something that I that was that always challenged me. Nietzsche's like we have to read philosophers' lives, and I think that Socrates makes a life. He 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 chooses his fate. He chooses his death. What better freedom? I mean, Sartre even says, maybe in a negative way, but suicide is the greatest freedom. And so, like yeah. Socrates, like he allows himself to die in a chosen way he chooses to die in this way so 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 to call it suicide is is a kind of passivity where he i mean you say in suicide himself so you've chosen a reflexive but yeah he 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 allows himself he 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 does choose his own destiny it's it's you know it's like one of those old uh choose your own destiny books right he 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 doesn't hold his finger on the on a different path he just goes straight ahead Right. Like he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, and there's like, again, like you're saying, there is like, it, it, it feels almost like Oedipus, right? Like we're drawing right. the lo- logical conclusions of, of a man going around bugging every strata of society. And like, and, you know, and then finally it's like they have a, well, they have it's, a where, they, where they all come back together and they put him to right. death and they, and they, and they, they condemn him. Yes. 
and it's 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 trumped up fake charges. Yes, it and, is. And he doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't defend doesn't, himself, or he, he doesn't, doesn't really. He doesn't no. rise to it. He like the whole thing is like, yes, I can't, right. I can't be bothered to defend myself in front of this court in the manner you're expecting by calling a bunch of witnesses to explain what is going on with me. Yeah. Uh, instead, I'm just going to give you a soliloquy and then basically dare you. He dares them in so many ways and like <clears> sort of. It's obviously it's sort of a joke that it's called an apology because like it doesn't it doesn't mean what we think it does. He's mostly right. sarcastic in it and well, isn't, them- isn't this very much similar to our discussion of the suspension of the teleological ethical, right? That the that that it's it's his it's kind of like the Isaac and um uh the Abraham Isaac narrative except that there's no Deus ex machina. He he takes the hemlock. He he follows through. Um, there's no, yeah, you wish Athena had like stayed his wrist or right. something, you know, but this would, like... this would, this would be to remain within the mythological, within the epic, right? The philosophical is a new genre of literature, if not a new attempt a at one. thinking, a new, a new generic type of thought. Uh, yeah. it's, it's neither scientific nor mythological draws on both of them, or at least draws on one and the religious, and then like shares in the same subsoil with, yeah, some, with science true. And tries to tell the truth yeah. in the way that <sighs> makes decisions concerning the real and the fictional, as Nietzsche points out, and as Laurel tries to axiomatize this notion of Socrates too. We can't forget he believes in this this greater part of existence that he is foreclosed to within his bodily frame. He has lived his life, and he has he has sort of seen this vision of. Uh, whether he's right or wrong, but but it has inspired his soul, right, to like yearn for this higher plane of existence wherein he can participate with the ideas and dialogue with with the forms, so to speak, and 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 so I think that Nietzsche discounts that at this. He he points out Socrates' nihilism, but he he forgets or he rejects the religious inspiration that that makes him believe in this higher place because for him that too inspires the hypocrisy of christians who forego actually living and struggling in this in this world and trying to uh, yeah, okay. trying to induce betterment to believing right. in this higher reward and so this world is is fuck shit and I think for Nietzsche, that 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 it that leaves a bitter taste in his mouth. That is no, nihilism. that's definitely right. I mean, I, I'll just do a tiny deconstructive note, which is which is I guess just to say that like that that to to make him a quasi religious figure in this way is is to lend the truth to the sophistical arguments that he is issuing religious innovations rather than purely metaphysical or philosophical. In other words, it is already to to muddy these waters a little bit not that they aren't muddy in greece and and again i think there was a beautiful point you made about like the continuity of you know plato's masterful dialogues with the with the works of sophocles and like they're they both proceed by like an almost mathematical sense of of deductive steps that like slowly inspire towards the end especially this kind of holy dread and terror um as the the horrific thing we've deduced must happen you know like if socrates goes around pissing everyone off then they're probably going to kill him you know know (laughs) yeah this 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 syllogism is like slowly painfully i I think that you're right i love this you came back to this that 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 
a lot of what Socrates says of the Gorgias, for example, is true holds true within the tragic view of life. Uh, one of the things we talked about was was two episodes ago, I believe, was this notion of uh, no one errs willingly, right? No one does wrong with knowledge. If if you like, paraphrase it, right? That 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 with knowledge, with true knowledge, and not just a knack. One understands the good, one seeks the good, one does the good. And I think that that kind of optimism um, is really concordant only with a tragic view of life that is exclusive to comedy. Because it's within comedy that, that the error is precisely that which helps reinforce the, 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 the quote-unquote right way, the quote-unquote normal way to proceed about things, right? This whole comedy of, of errors, this social comedy of, you know, from the, from the malapropism to the, uh, just the ironic downturns of all kinds of fates, right? So it's, I think that Socrates has this tragic view of life. And I think that's why his, his, uh, death has to culminate in the, in the highest of injustices in order to prove philosophies, uh correctness and appropriateness in the last instance there's something about plato using socrates now it's not it's less socrates martyring himself and more plato making him a martyr and 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 and, and showing him to be the sort of homo soccer of philosophy that that should not be questioned because because in the because in a certain vein plato is investing in uh, 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 an absolutist totalitarian type of society. This is why he envisions this notion of a, of a philosopher King who by decree can say the good and the just and the beautiful and make it. So there is a, uh, there, I think in Plato, we find more of this fascistic, um, Mystical and I mean that is mind. the heaven he wants to go yes, to. Yes, right. That's, you know that like that that is the heaven he dreams of. Is the Calipolis is the beautiful city where all yes. the pure forms live in their right. pure, purely specified order and their very distinct arrangement. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like yeah. And it, and he and he says this is the city that you can choose to be a citizen of, no matter where in time and yep. space you find yourself. Right, that you, that and you it's can, beautiful. I you mean, can slip into this other. Yeah, yeah. No, I. That's that's the. Well, I, I, I guess the, just to point the, the trans individual. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. go on. I love that. Keep going. Well, no, just I mean. Anyway, I don't know. I think I think it's actually like a good a good point to leave on is like re- reflecting on Calipolis and maybe hinting at a, a study of the Republic or something that might right. be might be constructive at this point with some of this like some of this like Gorgias and and Fado context and stuff yeah um, I mean but I would always point yeah, to, to I, Brave New World that that would be my my conjunction like secondary reading with <clears throat> with the Republic yeah I love I love that yeah okay well let's you, you, I'm press button okay